Caesars Sportsbook is the only sportsbook app with Caesars rewards. That means win or lose, every bet brings you closer to the types of perks only Caesars can offer. Like hotel stays at over 50 iconic destinations, bonus bets, daily profit boosts, tickets to the game, dining, and so much more. Whether you're a new or existing customer, Caesars Sportsbook is always rewarding. Must be 21. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Caesars Sportsbook. Don't just spectate, participate. What struck me was these kinds of mass shootings rarely happen anywhere else in the world. Why? They have mental health problems. They have domestic disputes in other countries. They have people who are lost. But these kinds of mass shootings never happen with the kind of frequency they happen in America. Why? Why are we willing to live with this carnage? Why do we keep letting this happen? Where in God's name is our backbone to have the courage to deal with it and stand up to the lobbies? It's time to turn this pain into action for every parent, for every citizen in this country. We have to make it clear to every elected official in this country, it's time to act. An emotional and angry President Biden reacting after yet another mass school shooting in America. Good morning and welcome to the second hour of an expanded way too early on this Wednesday, May 25th. I'm Jonathan Lemire. Thank you for being with us. We'll start with the latest developments in the tragic story out of Texas. At least 19 children and two teachers are dead after yesterday's shooting at an elementary school. The attack in Uvalde, about 80 miles west of San Antonio, is now the second deadliest school shooting in the history of the United States. The Texas Department of Public Safety, known as the DPS, says there are more victims, both children and adults, who are still in hospitals this morning. Investigators believe the 18-year-old suspect shot his grandmother at her home, then fled, crashing his truck in a ditch near Robb Elementary School, just before noon Central Time yesterday. The grandmother is in critical condition. A DPS trooper described what happened next to NBC's Morgan Chesky. At that point, the gunman made entry into the school and complete disregard for human life. Just an evil person started shooting kids, anybody that was in his way, teachers, had no regard for human life. Just walking through the school, opening fire. Right, at that point we do know that he was armed with some type of long rifle. Um, We're still trying to determine exactly what type of rifle, how he obtained that. We do have ATF and FBI here on scene working with us, trying to make those determinations. But once he made entry to the school, he continued shooting children, teachers, anybody that was in his way. That trooper went on to say that a school resource officer and two police officers from the city of Uvalde fired at the suspect who may have been wearing some sort of body armor. But the officers had to get back up from a tactical team, which ultimately shot and killed the gunman. DPS says the suspect was armed with, quote, some type of long rifle. A state senator says he was told by the Texas Rangers that the gunman bought two assault-style rifles from a store in Evaldi County on his 18th birthday just over one week ago. NBC News has not yet independently confirmed that detail. We are beginning to learn the names of some of the victims of the school shooting. 
A family member tells our sister station in Dallas that fourth grader Uzziah Garcia was among those kills. Uzziah Garcia, nine years old. One of the two teachers killed has also been identified by a family member. Her name, Eva Morales. She was a teacher for 17 years, most recently to fourth graders. A short biography on the school's website notes that she loved running, hiking, and biking. A family member told the New York Times that Morales was married and a mother. She was killed trying to protect her students. Joining us now from Uvalde, Texas, is NBC's Wendy Wolfhook. Wendy, good morning. Thanks for joining us this morning. Can you give us the very latest as to what the scene there looks like on this very dark, sad morning? Jonathan, good morning to you. It's been a stormy night here in South Texas, only adding insult to injury in this heartbroken community that is still reeling from the shock and are frankly just numb that something like this could have happened here and candidly by one of their own, an 18-year-old Uvalde resident accused of doing this awful, awful shooting. And they just don't have the answers that they're looking for, and we don't really know if they'll ever find any. Um, you, you never think it can happen here, and it and it did. These kids were at recess, we're told, you know, teachers trying to protect their students, um, and all of a sudden, their lives are lost. The unfortunate insult to injury again is, you know, you still have at least four people in uh, critical condition at this hour, so the death toll could still rise here. Wendy, is there any update as to the potential motive of the suspect? I think everyone is is wondering that right now. They are um, going through all of his uh, social media accounts to see what kind of footprint and what kind of clues that the the shooter left here. As you reported a, a few minutes ago, we do believe, according to the Texas Rangers, that this suspect bought the guns on his 18th birthday in this area. Um, and hopefully they'll, after they look through diaries and social media and go into his home and in his, in his bedroom, hopefully then we can start to have some answers as to the reason why these, these lives were tragically cut short. It, it, as a mom, Jonathan, I have a, a fifth grader and two seventh graders. You can't um, put into words what these community members must be feeling like. I think we all just stand here um, in, in shock, um, not really finding the... I've done this for a very long time, Jonathan, and there just are no words to, to describe how these people must be feeling and, and what they're going to be go th- going through in the days and weeks and months ahead. Their lives will never be the same. Yeah, I have a fifth grader and a second grader and hugged them both extra tight last night. NBC's Wendy Wolfhook, thank you so much for being with us today. Let's bring in former FBI special agent and MSNBC contributor, our friend Clint Watts. Clint, thanks for being us with us this morning. Uh, this is now the deadliest American school shooting since the massacre at Sandy Hook a decade ago. What is, what's the early sense that you've pieced together as to, to how this could have happened? If we know any, what can we know about this suspect? How can something like this possibly be prevented? Jonathan, I, I think the saddest part is that there's no real evidence of motive. 
again, though, what would the motive be for killing innocent children in a school? It, it is completely insane. Um, at, at the same point, I, I think you and I probably talked uh, just two weeks ago that the concern is always when one of these shootings happens uh, in a very large scale, the Buffalo shooting being that shooting, you tend to see contagion effect uh, take hold, meaning many other shootings crop up really quickly. Because in these online spaces uh, where individuals like the shooter yesterday and where the, the shooter in, in Buffalo reside is littered with individuals who are considering uh, a mass shooting, considering buying weapons, considering doing something like this. And it's only a matter of time until they choose to do so. And what they look for for inspiration oftentimes is someone else doing a very tragic shooting. So that's what I'm going to be looking for today. Also, the timeline in terms of the acquisition of the weapon. And I think it also speaks to what we do on the law enforcement side, which is just uh, hard to conceive, which is, you know, going all the way back to Columbine 20 years ago, the new strategy was to quickly get law enforcement officers into a location so that they can deal with a shooting. And we've seen it both at Buffalo and now with this shooting uh, where an attacker uh, is more prepared, uh, is better set up than many of the law enforcement officers that we have out on the streets. This attacker, again, used body armor, similar to other attackers. Again, it looks like they had a, a, a long gun, uh, probably a semi-automatic rifle, that they purchased it even recently. And with little to no training, they're just, you know, unleashing violence around places mm -hmm. it, it is protected as a, a small school. And I think that's really where the tragedy is this morning. So, Clint, we know the Buffalo shooter was uh, had a significant online presence. Uh, he live streamed the horrible violence. Uh, he had a manifesto. What is the early sense as to what this suspect's online presence was? And you mentioned the copycats. Is there a fear that now this shooting at this school could spawn even more? Yeah, Jonathan. So early indications, and these are all early. I'm sure we'll unearth more as there more time. Uh, you did see an individual who had some social media accounts, was oftentimes threatening or, or demeaning towards women, it appears, but in other cases was using some fringe platforms, very rare fringe platforms uh, to conduct discussions, which is unusual, but also a trend that we've seen in recent shootings. I think what is interesting is there's no real like discernment around an ideology, uh, whereas the Buffalo shooter had a very specific target that he was seeking, which was race-based. Uh, you do not see that in the online postings here. And that is the only thing that sort of, you know, you would think would make sense because what ideology or what motive would compel someone to attack small children in an elementary school? The bigger picture, though, is the contagion effect. I'm very worried about it today. As tragic and awful as this event was, you still see cheerleaders in the online environment celebrating this. You still see them talking uh, about doing something similar to this. So uh, over time, I, I think uh, we really need to relook both in terms of how we, what we expect law enforcement to do. Uh, you know, in Texas, are already talking about sending more security guards to guard these buildings. That how can that even be possible? It right. doesn't make sense. There, there were people there on the ground. They were not able to stop the shooter because they were outgunned and the shooter had body armor. I think bigger picture, it's um, whenever we have an attack like Buffalo, are we going out in our communities, touching base with everyone that we have had tips or leads on before about them possibly being a school shooter or a mass shooter to see what they're up to? I think we need to think more preemptively about that. Yeah.
Clint Watts, all excellent and sobering and tragic points. We really appreciate you being with us today. Let's turn now to the war in Ukraine. Russian forces continue in their efforts to seize part of the east of that country. Reuters reports that pro-Russian soldiers in Luhansk are using a howitzer to launch shells into the city of Severodonetsk that it contained leaflets instructing people how to surrender to the Kremlin. Lately, Russian forces have intensified attacks on that key city, which is the last Ukrainian stronghold in the Donbass region. A report by Britain's defense ministry yesterday said the Russians are trying to encircle the city and trap Ukrainian forces in a pocket on the main eastern front. Joining us now, live from Lviv, Ukraine, is NBC News foreign correspondent Molly Hunter. Molly, thanks for being with us today. It does seem like the Russians are making some progress there in the east. Give us the latest update on the situation there on the ground. And we touched upon last hour the growing concerns about Russia's blockade in the Black Sea. Hey, Jonathan, good morning. Nice to be with you Um, from Kiev, actually, this morning. That's right. We have been focused on Severodonetsk for the last several days, especially as those uh, Russian troops really move in and encircle it. And if you check out a map, you can see Severodonetsk kind of in this horseshoe area where the understanding was that Russian troops are on three sides. They were going to really close in and cut off that whole area. There is now a sense, according to reports from uh, teams, from experts uh, who are watching this advance very, very closely, that the Russian troops are now kind of targeting smaller encirclements of Ukrainian troops to kind of uh, go more incrementally as opposed to cutting off that whole horseshoe at once. But as you say, Severodonetsk is the last Ukrainian stronghold. Uh, The big picture, though, is that Russia is absolutely advancing in that area overnight. The governor of that area said six people were killed. It's also really important to keep in mind, Jonathan, that most civilians, uh, 70 to 80 percent of the civilians in that area are gone. So these villages are really kind of military Uh, strongholds, not actually kind of civilian enclaves at this point. NBC's Molly Hunter in Kiev. Thank you for that update this morning. We really appreciate it. Still ahead, we're going to have a look at the alarming gun violence stats in America. And I'll talk to the leader of a nonprofit advocating for gun law reform. Plus, we're going to have all the headlines coming out of yesterday's primary elections and an update on the baby formula crisis as another flight from Europe is headed to the United States today. Those stories, more on the Texas shooting, when we come right back. Caesars Sportsbook is the only sportsbook app with Caesars rewards. That means win or lose, every bet brings you closer to the types of perks only Caesars can offer. Like hotel stays at over 50 iconic destinations, bonus bets, daily profit boosts, tickets to the game, dining, and so much more. Whether you're a new or existing customer, Caesars Sportsbook is always rewarding. Must be 21. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Caesars Sportsbook. Don't just spectate, participate. Dental Associates of Northern Virginia redefine what it means to visit the dentist. Get top-quality, personalized support from committed experts who prioritize the well-being and satisfaction of you and your family. Care is centered on a highly personalized treatment plan backed by the trust and support of long-lasting relationships. Schedule your next appointment by visiting dental1-va.com slash offer slash SiriusXM. According to statistics, the United States has recorded at least 213 mass shootings five months into the year, including 27 
school shootings. In comparison, by the end of 2021, there were 34 in total. The nonprofit organization Brady, which fights to prevent gun violence, reports that every year nearly 8,000 children are shot and more than 1,800 die from gun violence. Joining us now, Chris Brown, president of Brady, the advocacy campaign that focuses on preventing gun violence. Chris, thank you so much for being here today, although, of course, we wish we did not have to speak in the wake of another school shooting. What has your organization's initial response been? What do you hope comes in the wake of this tragedy? Absolute horror. Um, And I obviously was watching your segment before and like the reporter you were talking to in Texas and yourself, I'm a mom. And uh, I'm in disbelief that this is the country that we live in, that we allow children to be slaughtered in school is really unconscionable. And something has to change. And what we've called for for a long time now is strengthening background checks across this country, a ban on assault style weapons. The reporting is that the shooter turned 18 and he went in and apparently bought uh, a long gun, an assault style weapon. Uh, Weapons of war have no business in schools and places of peace. We shouldn't make it so easy for someone intent on slaughtering human beings to do so. And Congress needs to act. Let's be clear, the House of Representatives has done its job by passing meaningful and comprehensive gun reform. It's been sitting in the United States Senate for a long time. And of course, Texas is a state that has rolled back almost every gun safety law that we have effectively passed as an organization in so many other states that could prevent shootings. Maybe not this one, I need more facts, but plenty of others and save lives. And that's what our organization is about. This is not about at all uh, a view of the Second Amendment that says individuals, responsible gun owners can't have access to firearms. This is about protecting our kids from people intent on harming them and disarming those individuals. And we have to take that really seriously as a country. I know as the head of Brady, I'm sick about this and we need to fix it. So, Chris, we heard from Senator Ted Cruz voicing the standard Republican line earlier that they did not think gun control legislation uh, would be uh, appropriate now. Uh, We know that the National Rifle Association has its weekend, its annual conference this weekend in Texas, just a couple hundred miles from the shooting scene. So if the Republicans are forming this blockade, what more can the White House do? Demand and insist that we have votes in uh, the U.S. Senate on these kinds of bills and they can pass through the House. First of all, we should demand that the Senate consider uh, expanded Brady background checks and bring it for a vote. People like Ted Cruz also have to be held to account. When is the time to seriously consider gun violence prevention legislation? It was a long, long time ago. And he is standing in the way. So so are other Republicans, not even craven, I think, to the NRA completely. They're wrapping themselves in an insurrectionist view of the Second Amendment that is fundamentally at odds with living life in this country, existing, going to the grocery store, going to the movies, dropping our kids at school. And we need to change that and fix it and get the votes in the Senate 
uh, that we need. And if we can't pass that Mm -hmm. uh, expanded Brady law, then we need to end the filibuster. That's what we have to do right now. Next. All right. President of Brady, Chris Brown, we really appreciate you being up with us this morning. Thank you for all of that. Still ahead, Golden State Warriors head coach Steve Kerr has a message for lawmakers. Do something about gun violence. We're going to show you his emotional remarks during a pregame news conference when we come right back. Caesars Sportsbook is the only sportsbook app with Caesars Rewards. That means win or lose, every bet brings you closer to the types of perks only Caesars can offer. Like hotel stays at over 50 iconic destinations, bonus bets, daily profit boosts, tickets to the game, dining, and so much more. Whether you're a new or existing customer, Caesars Sportsbook is always rewarding. Must be 21. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Caesars Sportsbook. Don't just spectate, participate. Dental Associates of Northern Virginia redefine what it means to visit the dentist. Get top-quality, personalized support from committed experts who prioritize the well-being and satisfaction of you and your family. Care is centered on a highly personalized treatment plan backed by the trust and support of long-lasting relationships. Schedule your next appointment by visiting dental1-va.com slash offer slash SiriusXM. About 400 miles north of Robb Elementary School is the American Airlines Arena in Dallas. And that's where Golden State Warriors head coach Steve Kerr did not want to talk about basketball before his team's game last night against the Mavericks. Instead, Kerr used his pregame news conference to criticize congressional leaders for their inaction on gun violence. So I ask you, Mitch McConnell, I ask all of you senators who refuse to do anything about the violence and school shootings and supermarket shootings, I ask you, are you going to put your own desire for power ahead of the lives of our children and our elderly and our churchgoers? Because that's what it looks like. It's what we do every week. So... I'm fed up. I've had enough. We're going to play the game tonight. But I want every person here, every person listening to this, to think about your own child or grandchild or mother or father or sister, brother. How would you feel if this happened to you today? We can't get numb to this. We can't sit here and just read about it and go, well, let's have a moment of silence. Yeah, go dubs, you know. Come on, Mavs, let's go. That's what we're going to do. We're going to go play a basketball game. And, and 50 senators in Washington are going to hold us hostage. Do you realize that 90% of Americans, regardless of political party, want background check, universal background check? 90% of us, we are being held hostage by 50 senators in Washington who refuse to even put it to a vote, despite what we, the American people, want. They won't vote on it because they want to hold on to their own power. It's pathetic. I've had enough. Gun violence is personal to Kerr. His father, Malcolm H. Kerr, was gunned down in 1984 by two extremists at the American University of Beirut, where he served as the university president. Powerful words from Kerr yesterday. Still ahead, the November, this November, Georgia will see a 2018 rematch between Governor Brian Kemp and Democratic challenger Stacey Abrams. We're going to break down some of yesterday's biggest primary results next on Way Too Early. 
Welcome back to Way Too Early. It's 5.30 a.m. on the East Coast, 2.30 out West. I'm Jonathan Lemire. Thanks for being with us today. Let's briefly turn to yesterday's primary elections and starting in Georgia. Governor Brian Kemp ran away with the election, defeating David Perdue, who had been backed by former President Trump. The margin? More than 50 points. Kemp, who drew Trump's ire after certifying President Biden's election win in his state, gave his victory speech at the College Football Hall of Fame in Atlanta. But Kemp wasn't the only Trump target to win yesterday. Secretary of State Brad Raffensperger won his primary election as well, defeating Trump-endorsed Congressman Jody Heiss. Meanwhile, the race for the Senate is set. Former football star Herschel Walker, the Republican, and Democratic incumbent Senator Raphael Warnock both easily won their races and will square off this November. And in the House, Congresswoman Marjorie Taylor Greene, let's recall, she faced a court battle to even be allowed to run for re-election. She also won last night. Joining us now, politics and government reporter for the Atlanta Journal-Constitution, Greg Bluestein. Greg, there's no one better than you to break down Georgia politics. We're really grateful you're with us uh, this morning. Uh, let's start with the big lie taking a loss that two Trump-backed candidates defeated uh, in Georgia yesterday, uh, that he really targeted both uh, Raffensperger and Kemp. What does this say about Trump's hold over Georgia voters? You know, there's a lot of different ways to look at it, especially when you look at Governor Kemp, a rejection of Trumpism, power of incumbency, a failure of David Perdue's campaign. But one way I'm looking at it is just in polls and in anecdotal interviews with with, with Republican voters, electability. Uh, Republicans who back Trump said at campaign stops and interviews, they, they just feel like Brian Kemp is the best Republican who can beat Stacey Abrams in November because he's done it before. And David Perdue didn't. David Perdue lost to Democrat John Ossoff back into the 2021 runoff. So electability was at the center of this. Uh, with Raffensperger, he leveraged the power of incumbency. He also benefited from crossover votes from Democrats who uh, it looks like at least about eight or nine percent of the votes in the Republican primary were Democrats who cast Democratic ballots back in 2020 who decided to cross over because there was no marquee race on their ballot. And they wanted to reject Trumpism and, and support someone like Brad Raffensperger, who said no to Trump's appeals to overturn the election. So, Greg, give us a uh, preview of the two mega races in Georgia that we're going to see this November. The Abrams-Kemp contest that you just mentioned, uh, but as well as on the Senate side, Warnock versus Walker. And as Jake Sherman noted in our last hour, Walker not exactly uh, offering an inspiring answer yesterday when asked about the crisis and the shooting in Texas. Walk us through what those two races look like now that we know the matchups are officially set. You know, I'm expecting Republicans in both cases to try to make these races um, uh, referendums on Joe Biden, especially in the Senate race. Herschel Walker has a past of violent behavior, erratic behavior, a lot of questions, stumbles in his campaign appearances, the limited ones he did, especially in the beginning part of the campaign. He wants nothing more than to make this about Joe Biden. He's already called uh, Senator Warnock little Biden. So that, that's sort of telegraphing his approach. But for Governor Kemp, he's also going to tie Stacey Abrams to Joe Biden, but he has a record to run on and he'll make it a referendum too on, on his record. And it's a record that got him 70% plus of the vote in the Republican primary. So he can show that he has a mandate among conservative voters. Um, will he be able to appeal to middle of the row voters? It's a big question. But also, can Democrats 
re-energize their coalition? Can they rebuild the same sort of um, uh, multiracial coalition that helped them win in 2020? That is an open question and a big challenge for both Senator Warnock and Stacey Abrams. And then, Greg, lastly, just give us a 30,000-foot look right now about the sort of state of politics in Georgia, a state that can send Marjorie Taylor Greene cruising to the nomination. Now, granted, she represents a deep red district, but also, as you just noted, made very sort of practical choices about Raffensburger, trying to reject the big lie. What does the state of Georgia look like as we head into not just a vital 2022 election, but makes it perhaps the biggest pro- battleground prize on the state, on the map in 24? Yeah, we're quite the paradox, aren't we? Because even in Marjorie Taylor Greene's district, she won by a huge margin. But also Brad Raffensperger won that district by a huge margin. So it might be part of the powers of incumbency of Republicans saying they like their local leadership, but they don't like, uh, you know, Washington leadership. They don't like President Biden. Um, Also, you know, there is a focus on 2022. And you're hearing from a lot of voters, uh, Republicans and Democrats. They want their politicians to focus more on the challenges ahead rather than look in the rearview mirror. So I, th- I think that's a part of the element here, but we are very, we're a very strange state sometimes. We're a very strange state sometimes. That could be an attack ad against you, Greg Bluestein. Uh, we really appreciate it. Uh, no better person to talk about Georgia politics. We'll certainly revisit this as the campaign continues. The Atlanta Journal-Constitution's Greg Bluestein, thank you so much for being with us today. Still ahead, one of the most outspoken senators on gun reform gives a speech you're going to need to see. It's really powerful. And we're going to play it for you next when Way Too Early returns. I'm here on this floor to beg, to literally get down on my hands and knees and beg my colleagues. Find a path forward here. Work with us to find a way to pass laws that make this less likely. I understand my Republican colleagues will not agree to everything that I may support, but there is a common denominator that we can find. But by doing something, we at least stop sending this quiet message of endorsement to these killers whose brains are breaking, who see the highest levels of government doing nothing shooting after shooting. What are we doing? Why are we here? What are we doing? That's Senator Chris Murphy's emotional plea to his Republican colleagues to take action against gun violence in the wake of yet another school shooting, this one in Texas. Joining us now, White House editor for Politico, my friend Sam Stein. Sam, I know you've spoken to Senator Murphy on this very issue. He, of course, uh, represents the state of Connecticut, uh, home to Sandy Hook Elementary School, which is, remains the worst school shooting in our nation's history. What happened yesterday is now number two. Is anything going to change? Um, that's a tough question. Um, probably not. Uh, I think as a nation, we kind of internalized and implicitly accepted the idea that we would have events like this uh, when we did nothing after Sandy Hook. Uh, You have to understand about uh, Senator Murphy. um, That day, Sandy Hook was deeply traumatic. Uh, He was supposed to go to New York City in the morning to spend the day with his family looking at 
Christmas decorations. It was just a normal day. And he was on a train stop in, in Bridgeport, Connecticut, when a call came in. And he had to go and run up to uh, Newton, Newtown, Connecticut, sorry, um, and just sit with families, essentially, as they waited to see if they were one, among the lucky whose children had survived this uh, horrific event or if they were among those who would have to deal with tragedy. And he, you know, that obviously would affect anyone. For him, it was a career-changing moment. Uh, from that point on, at that point, he had not been sort of an outspoken uh, gun control advocate. But from that point on, um, he took it to heart that this would be his career meaning and that he would define his career, uh, whether it was a su success or failure, based on the fact of whether he could get legislation passed. And so for what, eight years now, uh, he's been trying to do something on that front. And what's happened is time and again, uh, mass casualty events happen. Time and again, he makes a plea. And each time, as you go through it, each time, uh, it becomes more and more internalized that this is just the way life is. And so you asked me if things can get done. And my answer is, I don't know. But I think the more we just have these events and nothing happens, the less likely it is that we are shocked by them into action. It's hard to see any other path there, unfortunately. But let's talk a little bit about the specifics. The Biden administration, uh, you know, they're looking at executive orders potentially to do some things around the edges. What's your sense of what is possible for them? We know their ATF nominee uh, has not been put in place just yet. What do you have a sense as to the White House's response here beyond, of course, the emotional remarks from the president last night? I think I, I think to a degree, if there were substantive executive orders, they probably have been done at this point. You could do something more on ghost guns, perhaps. Uh, obviously, having an ATF nominee in place would be helpful. Uh, there hasn't been a permanent director in, in a bit. Um, you know, there's been a call from gun control groups to establish a, per, a cabinet level office uh, officer uh, designed to essentially coordinate and help push gun safety regulations. I suppose that would help um, elevate the conversation and maybe kick up some innovative ideas uh, for the president. But on, on a larger sort of substantive matter, uh, if you're looking to affect change, uh, you do need legislation. Uh, you do need Congress's input. And if we're being honest about it, um, the, the, the stuff that Congress has looked at, uh, background checks, uh, expanding those, wouldn't materially change things. It's unclear if it would affect these types of mass shooting events. Uh, background checks not, don't always prevent uh, these types of shooters from getting guns because they could pass background checks. Uh, the majority of gun violence, of course, is not done with AR-15s. It's done with handguns. Uh, the majority of gun deaths are not in these mass casualty events. Uh, they're in suicides. Um, but legislation could impact gun deaths. It's just a matter of congressional will. And as you and I have both noted, it's unclear if that congressional will will ever be there, even in the wake of these tragedies. The National Rifle Association has its annual conference this weekend. Uh, they are diminished as an organization in their terms of power in recent years, but still uh, few Republicans willing to defy them. We should note the NRA convention in Houston, not even 300 miles from the shooting scene. Political Sam Stein, thank you very much for being with us today. Still ahead, we have the details of a terrorist plot to kill a former U.S. president. Way too early. We'll be right back.
A few other headlines this morning. North Korea today reportedly test launched what is suspected to be an intercontinental ballistic missile and two shorter range weapons into the sea. Officials in South Korea say the suspected launch happened just hours after President Biden ended his trip to Asia, during which he reaffirmed the U.S. commitment to defending its allies against North Korea's threat. If confirmed, it would be North Korea's first ICBM launch in about two months. Elsewhere, the FBI says it has stopped an alleged plot to assassinate former President George W. Bush. The agency says an ISIS operative told an undercover informant that he wanted to smuggle four people from Iraq to the U.S. through the Mexican border in order to carry out this attack. At one point, he even traveled to Dallas to surveil the former president's home. According to Forbes, which first reported the news, the FBI uncovered the plot by working with two confidential informants and reviewing the alleged plotter's WhatsApp messages. Officials say the operative entered the U.S. legally in September of 2020 and then applied for political asylum while trying to marry an American woman to secure his immigration status. Documents revealed the investigation initially began as an immigration or visa fraud case and evolved into something allegedly far more sinister. Federal prosecutors are asking that the man be detained without bond with a hearing set for Friday. In a statement, in a, spokes, a spokesperson for the former president writes this, President Bush has all the confidence in the world in the United States Secret Service and our law enforcement and intelligence communities. A second shipment of baby formula is due to land at Dulles International Airport just outside Washington, D.C. today. The flight, which left from Romstein Air Base in Germany, is operated by FedEx and is delivering more than 100,000 pounds of formula, or roughly 1 million 8-ounce bottles. Once the plane arrives, FedEx will transport the formula to a Nestle distribution facility near Allentown, Pennsylvania. First Lady Jill Biden and U.S. Surgeon General Dr. Vivek Murphy will greet the plane at Dulles. Yesterday, the Federal Trade Commission launched an inquiry into the formula shortage with the agency releasing a statement. Part of it reads this way. The inquiry seeks information about the nature and prevalence of any deceptive, fraudulent, or otherwise unfair business practices aimed at taking advantage of families during this shortage. It also aims to shed light on the factors that have led to concentration in the infant formula market and the fragility of the supply chains for these crucial products. Coming up on Morning Joe, we're following the latest from Uvalde, Texas, after the deadliest school shooting since 20 children were murdered nearly a decade ago at Sandy Hook Elementary in Connecticut. We're going to go live to Texas just ahead. Morning Joe, a few moments away, way too early. We'll be right back. Caesars Sportsbook is the only sportsbook app with Caesars Rewards. That means win or lose, every bet brings you closer to the types of perks only Caesars can offer. Like hotel stays at over 50 iconic destinations, bonus bets, daily profit boosts, tickets to the game, dining, and so much more. Whether you're a new or existing customer, Caesars Sportsbook is always rewarding. Must be 21. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Caesars Sportsbook. Don't just spectate, participate. 